Hey Calvary, this is Patrick Sobecki here on The Weekly. I'm filling in for Jay Ewing as he is now on sabbatical, which is so great for him. Uh, I'm over at the Boulder campus, so this summer the Boulder campus has taken over The Weekly. We're interviewing different teachers and pastors, and today I'm here with Jake Bauer. He's the leader of the middle school ministry over at Boulder and has gotten the chance to talk about Daniel 4 before. So wanted to bring him on to share with us his thoughts. As always, go to calvarybible.com for more information about the weekly, about Calvary, about the different events that are happening here around us. There's a lot going on this summer. So head on over and check it out. So this week, again, we have Jake Bauer. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing great. Grateful to be on the weekly with you. Yeah, Jake, we share an office and I think it's so fun that we get the opportunity to be on the weekly together because you've preached Daniel 4 before, right? That's correct. It was actually one of the first sermons I preached in my major at Moody. So, and for those who don't know, I was at Moody Bible Institute where we got to I got to study preaching at Moody, which was awesome. And so this was one of uh, the texts that I got to first preach on, which was really exciting. Man, that's, it always, like still, even after almost two years of working with you, it still blows my mind that your major was preaching. That's just so cool. (laughs) Yeah, and it's somewhat ironic. How do you major in preaching? But, you know, I learned so much and, uh, am grateful that I was able to receive that education. It's really cool. Let's hope that it pays off. Oh man, it it has already in my life. Both <laughs> hearing from you and getting critique on my own teaching from you. So I've loved it. But we're here today to talk about Daniel four. Daniel four is packed. They we were just joking on Sunday about how many different tangents we could go down in this conversation. I mean, it's a lot of verses just on its own, right? We got thirty. 37. Yeah. That's not as long as I thought it was, but it feels long. It, it feels packed. When you look at it in your Bible, it feels like it's really dense. And I yeah. think it's because it's just prose. Like there's no poetry. There's no breaks in the paragraphs. It's just straight speech almost the entire time. So good. Uh, so, man, what? So what did you preach on when you did that passage? Was it different? I mean, I'm sure it had a different spin than Perry's message that he gave on Sunday, but what was that like? Yeah, well, full disclosure, I went back and listened to my Daniel 4 sermon last week because Perry initially was going to talk to me and bounce some ideas off of me for his own sermon. I listened to mine and was like, wow, I've come a long way in five years. Um, It was... (laughs) Which is a good thing. It is. It was like, you know, if I... If I was like, I wouldn't change a single thing after five years, then maybe I'd be a little frightened by that. But it was not how I would preach Daniel 4 again, <laughs> that to say. However, some of the ideas, uh, I and one of the blessings of actually preaching Scripture is that when you can go back years later, as long as you preached faithfully the Scriptures, you can look back and go, okay, well, there's still things that I would retain from here because the Word hasn't changed. And that's true and as far as I preached the text um, when I was at college. But that to say, my main focus was pride when I preached Daniel 4, and I heard Mark Luby's sermon from Erie last week as well, which I think his main focus was pride, and Perry's was too. Perry had an emphasis on gratitude 
in his sermon and specifically ingratitude um, and not being grateful in the ways that we should be, which I thought was a really cool spin that I want to talk to you about a little bit today as well. But a couple things I focused on was, and I think the main reason I ended up focusing on pride is the last sentence of it when Nebuchadnezzar, after his journey of rising and falling, says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. And I took that almost as a sense of Nebuchadnezzar self-assessing what was going on. Um, It seems like he realizes that his issue was pride and ingratitude is directly attached to pride, which Perry touches on as well is this idea that the people who are ungrateful mm-hmm. and who do not uh, point to God as the one who gives them the things that they have in this world are the, uh, it's really an issue of pride. It's a pride. It's an issue of um, false self-assessment of not looking correctly at yourself and saying, okay, what do, what do I have that I've received? What do I have that I've self-created and self-made? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer is nothing. And, and as far as we don't acknowledge that, it's proud. It's mm-hmm. pride and it's self, uh, self-commendation self in the face of when we actually should be grateful. So, yeah, those are my initial thoughts. I don't know. You have response to that. Yeah, even that, hearing that it's helpful, it reminded me. So one of my favorite books is The Consolation of Philosophy by... Uh, were you surprised I didn't say Augustine? No, well, a little bit, but I'm also surprised that I've never heard of this book, and I've worked oh. with you for two years, and we've talked about books so much. Yeah, you're so right. It's it's one that doesn't come up a ton because it, it is so philosophical, but it, it really is this guy he's dealing with. So he is an old Roman senator, but Rome's been taken over in the 6th century by barbarians who have rejected the Trinity specifically and so he's jailed because he believed in the trinity and uh the current king of rome had rejected that and he's sitting in prison and he writes this book about how he's going to deal with being in prison after leading a life that by all accounts was super righteous it was blessed and had gone really well wow and It's delightful. C.S. Lewis said 200 years ago, it was every educated man's top three books. Oh my gosh. I've never even heard of it. Yeah. Every single book that's the best in this world is written from prison. So it makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. There it is. You got that? You got Pilgrim's Progress? What else do you need? (laughs) Exactly. A bunch of Paul's epistles. You're so right. All right, to be a good author, go to prison. That's the lesson. Martin Luther King wrote his address to uh, a letter from Birmingham. Birmingham. I was just at Gettysburg. I just combined. (laughs) It's Birmingham, Birmingham, not Gettysburg. Very different, but understandable. But from prison, Birmingham, one of my favorite things I've ever read is from prison again. I mean, even Martin Luther, like his first three books that really got famous were because he wrote them hidden away in a castle because his friends had kidnapped him on the way to his execution and were hiding him away, which, so it's not quite prison, but like 
confinement. Yeah, yeah. You know I visited that castle? What? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was unbelievable. If you ever get the chance to what's, go to Europe. What's the name of it again? Do you I, remember? I don't even remember. I, okay. I saw so many things in a row that they just... <laughs> I just have the images now. I have this word like Wartenberg Castle, and I have no idea if that is correct. That sounds correct. You know, if you find it, just shoot an email to Jake or I. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for doing that. Um, Anyway, the consolation of philosophy. (laughs) Um, So this sixth century dude jailed for his, for being a Christian, writes this book. And the main, one of the main points he makes is that we shouldn't depend upon fortune is the word he uses over and over again. That was a more common word, but like this idea of like prosperity of dominance of ruling, Mm. we shouldn't use that as a basis for happiness because God gives and takes those things however he wills. And so he like starts the book in this deep depression. Wow. And that's one of the main points he uses to actually draw himself back out of that to realize that, man, yeah, God gives and he takes. And that's, it's not about me as much as it's about him wanting what's best for me. That's, that's amazing. That, I mean, that makes me think of Perry's, and this was what stuck with me personally from the sermon the most this last weekend was his comment that Nebuchadnezzar had every reason to believe that he was secure. He had every reason. He had all of the comforts in the world. He was in the most secure place in the world, in the most secure position in the world. No one was above him who could threaten him. It was, if there was anyone who could feel just unthreatened by everything, it was Nebuchadnezzar. And yet it's him who falls and makes me go, okay, what are... What are the things that I actually put my security in and feel this sense of uh, ease when really the things in my life could really be taken away just just like that? There, it's nothing nothing here. If we place our security in the things in the world, then those are the exact things that could be removed the next day just so easily. And those are actually the things that oftentimes we find our own security in. Think of. Uh, it's easy, especially in Boulder, you know, where we have so much and it's easy to put our life in our possessions. And Jesus himself says life does not consist of our possessions because they can be removed and taken away. If we put security in those, they can, they can leave. Yeah. And I think even the crazier thing about this story is like, he doesn't lose his possessions per se. Like it's not like someone comes and takes. Yeah. He's not exiled, right? Yeah. Yeah. He loses his reason mm. and then loses everything else because of that loss. I think that was just an interesting just turn in the story of like, it could have been the case. Yeah. The exile, like that's what happened. Yeah. Like they ignored God. They were indifferent to God and then were exiled. And Nebuchadnezzar doing the same thing, basically ignoring being indifferent to God, picking up, himself basically as God rather than God. But instead of losing Babylon and getting taken off somewhere else, he just loses his reason. Yeah. And then loses everything besides. And Nebuchadnezzar, because what you're saying is so interesting. Nebuchadnezzar is a fascinating character to me in the book of Daniel. He gives me some Saul vibes. Oh, in yeah. the sense that, you know, like Saul in a similar way 
comes to these really humble moments of repentance where you hear him and you go, oh my gosh, he's returning. And then the next step, he's chasing David again and trying to kill him. <laughs> and it's and you're, you have to sit there as a reader and go, what on earth? Like there's one specific transition in First Samuel where da- David, Saul comes out and repents to David and they both separate. And the next verse and the next chapter, Saul is chasing David again. And you're like, what happened? Like there's there's space here. What What is this man? And and it's easy to distance ourselves from that. And then you see the same character repeated in Nebuchadnezzar, where in uh, Daniel, is it two with Shadrach, Meshach? No, three. Three. And yeah, yeah we, we skipped a week because of Micah 6, 8. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where Nebuchadnezzar has the same thing happen. He's in this deep sin and uh, is threatening the lives of so many people. And he's humbled. And he sees a miracle happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it brings him to his knees where he goes, okay, now I recognize your God is the most high. And in the next chapter, it's this same thing where he's still walking in sin. Aren't I the best? (laughs) (laughs) He comes out and he's the epitome of pride, right? Didn't you just deal with the whole thing where you made a golden image of yourself and it wasn't God? Come on, man. And, And we can look as readers and go, this man... It's a joke. Like, he's silly. Mm. How, how could you possibly be this way? And then we go, okay, what is true repentance? What mm. what are what is true repentance, and what does it actually mean to truly repent? Is, is the fruit of that repentance temporal? Mm. Or is it, uh, does it manifest itself into a permanent lifestyle? Where, because what, what's clear is Nebuchadnezzar maybe learns things about God, but he, he hasn't encountered him in the way he needs to personally until Daniel 4. And that's so clear when everything in his life is taken away. And you can notice the grace of God in Daniel 4 where God gives him this dream. You know? Like, the dream isn't... Such a warning. It's such a a clear, like, hey, this is going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Get get ready. (laughs) And, And Daniel finishes... The dream saying this, verse 27, let, O king, my counsel be acceptable acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. He has given a direct, clear call to repentance for this is what you need to do to avoid the consequences of this dream. And he does not listen because he's mm. proud. And so I go... I, I don't even remember why I'm talking about all this, but that to say, it just makes me go like, it, it, it gives you the same vibes as Saul and it mm-hmm. makes me go, what are the fruits of true repentance and how is that different than, mm-hmm. uh, you know, avoiding consequences even. It, true repentance is an acknowledgement of who God is that it leads to us avoiding the consequences of wrath. Um, but it's not just dependent on, oh, I'm going to avoid the the, you know, difficulty that my sin brings or avoid these things temporarily and then return to these sins once it's uh easier again mm. but yeah what, what do you think about all this well even that i i feel like this rhythm that you're saying is like it feels kind of like how life is most of the time where you you go on sundays and hear the word of the lord mm. at calvary clearly proclaimed clearly preached and this vision of the good life that God has for us shown to us from the scriptures. Yeah. 
And then it's so easy for the rest of the week to get caught up in the comfort and self-effort and just the the ease of selfishness and distraction, honestly, that so much of our culture just provides on a, on a loop for us yeah. and says is good. good. Yeah. Is like the picture of like being distracted, being consumed with either getting more because the algorithm tells you you should have more or comparing yourself because the algorithm is giving you people to compare yourself to to blame everything on algorithms, but it, it's just a really <laughs> like, that's a really important feature of our lives. But even like here in a space with no technology, it's like Nebuchadnezzar hears the word of the Lord clearly from Daniel and then turns around and gets sucked back in into his life and the way things are. I was just like, Oh, whoa, that is actually. And like even that picture over and over mm-hmm. again, it was like, man, I can feel so good Sunday at like, 1230 where it's like, man, I am going to live so intentionally this week because of that word that was preached to us. Yeah. And then Monday morning, I'm like, is it, is it really worth it to make the like fight happen with my toddler to get her to sit down and like, hear me read a few verses of Proverbs out loud? (laughs) (laughs) Cause there's, there's a lot of other things I have to do. To make sure that everything in my life goes well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I like the word you use, distractions there. Where I think actually one of the things that we do with our possessions and our prosperity here. And not to miss be misheard here. We're grateful to have possessions and prosperity cool. in the Boulder area. It's awesome that we've been blessed and that we don't have to worry about where our next meal is going to come from or where we're going to sleep tonight. We're, we're grateful for that. Um, but something that can happen when we rely on them and depend on them is that we can actually use them to hide, uh, from our sin. And so in some sense there, you know, you think about Nebuchadnezzar and Perry also mentioned this where during the day he's on top of the world during the night, that's when he's afraid. That's, Mm. that's when, when he is alone, and by himself at night and left to think that's where his sin is starting to bother him and where this dream he just can't get out of his mind. And it's same with us. It's like in those alone moments, we might have that, that guilt return for the the unrepentant sins in our lives or the things that we're concealing and that no one knows about. But then during the day, it's like, how many things can I use to distract myself from thinking? Like, can Mm. I, I'll blast my music in the car. I'll, uh, do as much as I possibly can to make sure that I'm avoiding thinking so that I don't have to deal with my guilt or deal with my sin. And mm. that's what we see in Nebuchadnezzar here is like during the day, he is surrounded by security and ease, but it's at that nighttime where he's reminded, oh my gosh, it's me and God. Those are, that's all there is. And there's nothing to hide me from his presence. Yeah, man, that's so good. And even the the scale to which Nebuchadnezzar takes prosperity is like something that's hard for even us to imagine in our day. I mean, the stories about the city of Babylon in his day, I mean, the hanging gardens. Yeah. that Like a lot of archaeologists have said his hanging gardens are actually the source of the Eden myth. Like the Garden of Eden myth begins, and now this is anthropologists and archaeologists that don't trust in the Bible, don't believe that the Bible has real historical data for us, but like wow. that's how impressive the hanging gardens were. I mean, 
this 10-story structure that without electricity pumped water to the top so it would just be this beautiful artificial mountain of greenery and prosperity and beauty right in the middle of the city. He's just looking at that. And he could just he could just enjoy it, luxuriating in that. Like that's the kind of picture he has. If like if you took the mountain the flat irons were on and then turned it into this garden paradise. <laughs> like that's the picture of the hanging gardens. So it's not like like when he says these things about being prosperous, it's like he's not messing around. Like he's he's got the real deal of prosperity even by our standards. Yeah. And it still is something that instead of, yeah, instead of being grateful, instead of having the perspective of, man, like what an incredible thing that God has given to me. He says, man, how awesome, how awesome am I? Yeah. Yeah. I think what I appreciate about Perry's emphasis on gratefulness that I even missed in my own preaching of it is that it gives a solution that makes sense. You know, because mm. my my response sometimes when I hear this stuff is, well, I better get rid of the gardens. All right, you know, what what is mm. what are the things of prosperity in my life and security in my life? I just need to throw those things out. If I'm putting too much trust in, you know, exercise as a place where I can rest, or that's that's one for me where sometimes I can go, yeah, am I, is this something that brings me too much rest or too much security? Mm. And I, I should just get rid of it. But really, um, rather than that being the reaction we have what what should we be doing we should re- who who's the giver and who who is the one that we should actually focus on as the source of all the good things in our lives all the prosperity and be thankful for those things and not put our trust in those things so that if we do lose them which is a possibility mm. um we can still recognize lord gives he takes away like job and blessed blessed be his name not the things that our lives are not dependent on. Yeah. Oh man, that is so good. I think that I, even identifying it as the answer is so helpful as compared to those other answers of just like, I think in my mind, I'm like, I just need to be more humble. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like yeah, that's so good. That sounds so spiritual. And then I am like, I don't, that doesn't lead me anywhere. In terms of application, yeah, you know, yeah, it's totally. like this abstract thing. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is so good. It is like, oh yeah, and then Monday morning, I'm like, oh yeah, humble. Mm. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back to my work now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and there's no real place that I go with that because it's just like it, it is so good, but it, it just isn't the realness of like, oh, but I can be thankful. Yeah. I can actually realize that it, oh, all these things are gifts from the Lord. The fact that I have a sweet family and we can spend time together and we get to enjoy our beautiful city together mm-hmm. is like, oh man. And then even the fact that like, okay, our office is being redone. We are recording the weekly this week, not at Calvary Boulder, but in Jake's basement, which is just <laughs> a fun thing because Calvary Boulder is getting redone. And it's like, oh, because we have a great building and a people who care about our building enough to be able to support us refurbishing it. Like, that's so sweet. And so I think it's like, oh, man, that yeah, the solution of gratitude 
is so helpful in this circumstance. Yeah, something that we can, anyone can do, and thankful people are humble people. Mm. Thankful people are humble people. Ungrateful people are proud people. They, 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 they're they deserving. Mm. They think that they deserve. And so when we actually start to slow down in our lives and say, man, what are the things I have to be grateful for? I would, I, I think anyone listening to this can probably name them right off the top of their head. Even in the worst seasons of your life, you can slow down and recognize there's things to be grateful for. And those things come from God every time. Well, and not to bring it back to consolation of philosophy, but that's, that's one of the things he talks about is like, he's in prison and still, mm. and still has things that are pointed out to him as like, man, you should be grateful that you even had the chance to be great. And like he had two sons and a beautiful marriage. And the point that he's going through is like, man, I'm so, I, I should be even to reflect on what has been so good in my life and realize that even what I'm suffering now doesn't affect the good that I have had, even though it can feel that way. Wow. Like it's so easy for us to like read suffering back into the past or allow suffering to just take up our whole view of what's happening currently that is like, Oh no, like that isn't the story of my whole life. And to think that like a season of suffering is all that I am, all that I have is actually to forget how God has been good to me. Hmm. I like it's, and it's not quite pride. I almost think of it as like a kind of shame is like the opposite of like, it's still a wrong assessment of oneself, but often in suffering we get to think, well, I can never be good enough or I've done something so horribly wrong and I just don't know what it is, but God is angry with me. He's upset with me and is punishing me for, for whatever is wrong in my life. And that's actually not the case with a lot of this worldly prosperity that God rules and he gives what is in the world to whom he pleases. Yeah. And it, often it's not about us. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard humility described as accurate self-recognition of the ability to look at yourself truly in light of the true God, um, which doesn't result in you self-flagellating or self-hating. Mm. You know, yeah. that's... And I think about that letter... Perry, so Perry, at the end of his sermon, for those who didn't hear it, read a letter from a compassion child to him and his family. And it was a letter, that the word grateful is used, you know, 20 times in the letter. Um, and it's the child writing about how grateful he is. And one of the lines uh, he writes in there that stuck out to me was he said, I am grateful that I can be uh, a big contributor to society by my skills. And so he writes about how he's, I, I couldn't remember what his field was, but he's learning a trade. Something, yeah, it was like aluminum. Yeah, yeah and, and it's helping those around him. You know, it's, I'm grateful that I can contribute and be of benefit to my society. And I was mm. thinking about that. I was like, you know, it, with a false definition of pride, you'd hear that and go, what do you mean you're a benefit to your society? You, you need to be more humble. You can't talk that way about yourself. And then with an accurate assessment of self, you can realize – no, no, we should be grateful for the ways that God gives us gifts to contribute to this world. And that he is, that's what it means to be humble is to 
recognize what's true about yourself in light of who what's true about God. And it's not to demean the things that are true about yourself and to ignore them and to set them aside in ways that are actually just false, that are lying. Yeah. You know, if you're good at soccer to sit there and say, I stink at soccer. I can't play at all. Don't you, you shouldn't put me on your team. I'm terrible. It's like, well, that's just not true. <laughs> it's, that's, it's actually unhelpful. Yeah. People see right that. through it every yeah. time to everyone. Everyone is like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, but to, to do it and light and say, you know, I, I'm, I am skilled at soccer. And when I win these games, I'm, you know, I say a prayer and thank the Lord that he's given me the ability to be so and use this as a place where I can preach the gospel to others. I don't know. Just using these things and being thankful for them in light of who God is and recognizing that all we have is given to us. So, yeah. And I think that's like, even like being able to do things for their own sake is part of this. And I like, I think it's connected in this idea of like, man, God loves to give good gifts that we ought to be grateful for. And I think that that can lead to in a lot of ways of like, if your gift is playing soccer, like I think it, it can be easy to be like, ah, oh, well, it doesn't like, it's not like building aluminum, like or right. wh- whatever this guy was doing. It's not like the, the like practical, tangible, like doing good for others. But I think there's so much good that even things like sports can do in terms of, and I know it's, I said that, uh, <laughs> sorry, Jake and I, I'm not the most athletic for those of you who haven't met me. And so it's just been a conversation, but I think even the like joy of being together, cheering for a team, being united, mm. like that's something that athletes give to other people. Like that's a good in itself. Good. Like even though it doesn't have use, even though it doesn't like in itself make Functionally, money. Yeah. 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 Like it is a good thing. And I just think one of my favorite moments of, uh, so Augustine in the city of God, he, which is a great book. He justifies that God loves beautiful and useless things. And he does it by giving the example of men's beards and nipples. <laughs> and I just, it's so funny to me every time I've read it. It's like, God, God has a place in his heart for beautiful and useless things. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> like, tell me about the last time a man's beard was helpful to anyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And like in this season of like young parenthood, just like reflecting on the uselessness of my nipples is like, <laughs> oh yeah, cool. Great. <laughs> you know what gets me about that, Patrick, is that that's the example he uses when I can just off the top of my head think of so many other less awkward examples. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just in nature, there's so many useless things. Yeah, that are nature, just beautiful. That are just beautiful in nature. Yeah. <laughs> you have to jump to something so uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, that's, that's one of the reasons Augustine's so great, you know? But it's immediately tangible, you know? You know, like it everybody gets it. I, you are... That is accurate. (laughs) (laughs) But all that to say is like we like it's having gratitude, understanding like a right view of the good things God has for us is like they don't have to fit into these pragmatic, practical, solution oriented places in our lives. Mm. Like things can just exist to be beautiful. They don't have to even for artists. I think there's just such a pressure to make a statement in all of your art these days and it's like man i don't i don't think 
that that's actually what needs to happen with beautiful things. I think beautiful things can exist just to be seen. Maybe that's the statement in itself is that this is beautiful. Mm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> the, the statement is the the very essence of the thing you're looking at. I, I So I just am like, yeah, reflecting on, oh man, there are so many good and sweet gifts and we don't want to, we don't want to view those wrongly. Yeah. Even in the fact of like, man, we can't have beauty for the sake of beauty because it's, because it's not about us ultimately again. Mm. Like when we're viewing ourselves rightly, it's like, okay, we're doing this to give others joy. We're doing it ultimately so that God would be glorified. I don't, I don't even, like it is so good when uh, Logan Kopic and I have gotten into a lot of conversations about how like professional disc golf these days is like there are a bunch of awesome Christian guys that are getting into it and are doing really well. And I like I think that's awesome. I think there should be a place for Christians to excel in every field because I think Christians should come from every field and be in every yeah. field. But I think like if it was so that these guys should excel so that they could share the gospel, I'm like, well, yeah, there is a good in like being able to have a platform that shares the good news with right. people. But I think it's also just a good thing that God gives us prosperity, talent, success because he loves us. Mm. Not so that we could do some good for him. This is so helpful for me. I'm thinking about how utilitarian, I mean, cause that's what you're talking about is this idea of all things. The only purpose they serve is function. Mm. And I'm thinking about how we use time mm. that way. The way we evaluate whether our time was well spent is how much we accomplished rather than anything. Like what, what was my time used to do and to get done and to, work and i i'm even wrestling through that because i don't even know what the alternative is to that really like that it the alternative is not well we should use more of our time to be lazy and do nothing but maybe it's like the idea that time well spent maybe that category for us isn't just measured by the things that we've done but it's even by the feelings that we've had and given to other people, you know, but in the relational experiences we've had that mm. it's not a waste of time to spend an hour eating dinner and talking, you know, that it, you didn't do anything during that time. You ate dinner, you sat at the table and talked and there's probably hundreds of other things you could be doing and getting done that are functionally to do list items that you could check off. Yeah. However, an hour spent around the table talking with good friends is not time wasted. It's time well spent because mm. what's happened during that time is that you've relationally bonded with one another you know I, I don't know i'm thinking about how in our society today we really do value and measure things by their function mm. yeah and i even think of like when we see christ living out his life many of the stories we get told aren't man in his three years of ministry which is a short period of time i mean you and i have talked about how like two yeah. years has felt like a long time but also has felt like just like there's so much that has to happen in ministry that two years doesn't feel like it's been nearly enough. And so, but so like in Jesus's three years of ministry, it's like he spends so much time just eating meals with people. <laughs> like so much time. And I was just like, whoa, okay. This was like how 
Jesus could think about and see his ministry working out so well. It's just inviting often himself over to other people's houses because, you know, the life of a homeless preacher. Mm. You just invite yourself over. Foxes have holes. <laughs> Son of man has nowhere. Nowhere to serve pasta. <laughs> I, flatbread might hey, be a I better word. Greco-Roman world pasta was quite popular. <laughs> quite common. It's very similar to our modern spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and he would just spend time eating with people. I mean, his first miracle was making a ton of wine. Like it wasn't, it wasn't healing. It wasn't teaching in such a radical way that thousands were converted. That, that happens in the gospels for sure. But his first miracle is just one of giving people time and space and joy in being with one another. It's like, whoa, that is an awesome gift. Yeah. I think about the question at the end, and this is, this is somewhat of a cliche, but I'll throw it out there anyways. It's a, there's a reason it's a cliche. Yeah. Like when you look back at the end of your life on how you spent your days, what are the things that you're going to regret not having done? Mm-hmm. And I think about checking things off my to-do list probably won't be what I'll say, but it probably will be, man, I wish I had spent more time with those people or with the Lord or with, you know, I wish I'd sp- been able to maneuver my days enough where I could have spent uh, more time with the people mm-hmm. I loved. And that's, that's true. Like our, our, our lives are made up of relationships with God and with others. And that's the most important thing. There's nothing, there's nothing better we can do than that. And I don't even know how we got here, Patrick from Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> yeah, it was good gifts, you know, it was like being thankful for yeah, yeah. like, we want not like Nebuchadnezzar. We want to be grateful for the good gifts that God's given to us. And then yes. we just got into the nature of what is good, you know, <laughs> As one does. As 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 we do. <laughs> as we do. <laughs> yes, time is good. Time with people is good. And which all right, here's my controversial take. Great. This is why I like meetings. Because mm. I think and not every meeting does this well, which is when meetings get frustrating to me. Yes. But I think when meetings are time for like actually sharing how you're doing, where people are at, like how things are actually going. And like, you're able to drop the, I just the facade, I guess like I, and I'm not saying this happens to a large extent in Calvary meetings. It doesn't, I think Calvary meetings are so good and that's why I enjoy them for the most part is because like, we're actually hearing about how things are going throughout the church. And I think it's so sweet. And then it's like this space of moving forward but the problem is it's not getting things done per se. You know, it's right. it's this tension of like, okay, it's the middle of the workday and I'm not getting anything done. I'm just sitting here talking. And I actually think that's one of the best parts. Mm. And so you're even applying that to like businesses everywhere is this idea of if we're spending time with people, we're not spending time getting things done, but. Maybe that's not the right way to evaluate that time spent. Totally. Yeah. Like I think we we want to view all of our time in terms of the dollars we're getting paid to accomplish things. Mm. And I think it's okay to be like, I am I am getting paid in this moment to accomplish things, but it might be the most valuable use of my work hours to care for these people. Mm. And even to build camaraderie <sighs> or to align yourselves in the same vision or to, you know, that <clears throat> to work and 
simply get things done on a computer is not the best, even the best use mm. of time. It's not even the best, you know. And even the, there's a book that was recommended to me last night. Um, and I don't, you don't even have to read it. You just need to hear the title because it's right. that, it's that helpful of a book. The, the title is Who, Not How. And the subtitle is Achieving Bigger Goals Through Accelerating Teamwork Building. Cool. And it's like, it's this idea that I think a lot of us know inherently that if you have the right people and you have the right relationships, you will get more and better done than you would if you had the most task-oriented group of people who didn't care about each other. Mm. And it's like, oh, that's actually a really helpful thing. It was like, it seems so, like, at least to me, it felt like yeah. so common sense when it was being explained to me, but also something that's just so uncommon in the culture of how we think about our time and our space. Yeah, that's that's really, really good. I, I, I think... Uh, that's so oppositional to culture today. It really is. You know, you have to fight against a tide that is saying like, ooh. <laughs> That's what happens when you meet in the basement. <laughs> but that to say, if you Oppositional to culture. Oppositional to culture. The tide of culture is really saying um, your worth comes from what you've achieved, mm. what you've done. And I think that's, we're in youth ministry. I think that's transferring from adults to students, from adults to their kids of um, the way that you can achieve worth in society and the world in the eyes of others is to show your accomplishments, your achievements, what you've done. And that's, those are the things that matter in this world. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be high achievers and look for excellence in our lives and yeah. for really hard work. Um, I just don't think that I think if we find ourselves in those things, we're going to find ourselves to bring it full circle back like Nebuchadnezzar <sighs> totally, to totally put his worth in his achievements and, uh, and he was humbled. Yeah. Oh, that's such, such a good and helpful connection, Jake, even to see that. Yeah. Man, we don't want to end up like Neb. We don't want to end up just putting all of our identity in achievements. And one of the ways we can fight that is by just spending time with people. Yeah. Ugh. Being grateful for that. I love that, Jake. I think that's so sweet. Man. Ah. This has been so fun. I've like so thoroughly enjoyed. Not that I was surprised that I would enjoy this conversation. <laughs> But, you know, it was just so sweet to get to talk to you intentionally about this. Yeah, thanks for bringing me on. It's so good to process more of the text. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to Perry and Mark's sermon, they're, they're awesome. I'm sure Zach's was too. Yeah. Oh, man. Thanks so much, Jake. And again, thanks for listening to The Weekly. Thanks for coming on and hearing us just talk and process more about what it means to live the life with Jesus in our everyday. We'll be here next week again to talk about Daniel 5. And as always, you can check out calvarybible.com for more information. Have a great week.